Hello and welcome to Stand and Deliver, a JoJo podcast. This week we discuss episodes 27 through 29 of season 2. This is my private life. I've got no friends to fear. I've got no problems, no cause to bear. If you can find me, come get me out of here. This is my private place. Everything is neat and clean. The skeletons are hidden in the closet. This is my private place. Can we get me out of here? is a better movie to watch uh if i'm eating a spicy italian from subway uh goodfellas the thing that's Done. actually what i was gonna ask oh <laughs> all right that that's all that yeah because you know there's the part where all the tentacles come out of the dog and they freak out it kind of looks like salami yeah like a that's lot of it. tiny thin pepperones like a, a swarm of slim jims I had this, uh, like, a venison Slim Jim thing. It wasn't, like, Slim Jim brand. But it was, like, super thick and tasted really good. And it was cheap. And I'm starting to think that that was, like, enjoyed in a fever dream because I cannot remember where I bought it. Like, I've been back to all the places I have purchased things from within that week. None of them have it. Venison's pretty good, though. Uh, it seems to be, like, on the rise... In America, for some reason. Yeah, everyone's talking about venison. No, I mean, like, Arby's had venison stuff pretty recently. That that would be the only thing that would actually maybe convince me to go to an Arby's. They had, um... Also, actually, speaking of that, they had, uh, gyros with lamb. Like, they they didn't call it lamb, I think, because they think that would freak people out, because they can't eat a baby sheep, ugh. But they just called it, like, traditional oh. Greek. And uh, those were pretty good. Hmm. That's the only thing I've eaten from Arby's in a long time. Yeah, I have always been down on Arby's. Uh, Arby's ever since I was a t- Yeah, like, if I want to get a roast beef sandwich, I'm not going to Arby's. I don't want shitty fast food roast beef, man. Yeah, and also, it's, like, way too expensive, and you get almost none of it. Yeah, God, it's... They're curly fries, I don't even think are very good. No. Compared to curly fries that you could get at other fast food restaurants. Their shakes are pretty good. Especially the recent, like, the Girardelli double chocolate ones. Those are pretty good. It Um, is hard to fuck up a shake, though, because along the same uh, line... Have you had a Burger King shake? I think Burger King strawberry shake is actually alright. I don't know about strawberry, but... They have Fruit Loop shakes. Who thought that was right. a good idea? Okay, maybe it's not that hard to fuck up a shake because <laughs> you said Fruit Loop shake, and I'm pretty sure that's just fucked. No, uh, like a frosty is uh, basically super melted ice cream. Like it's in this weird spot between a shake and just ice cream in a cup. Yeah, it's. Really, um, I would just say it's ice cream. Like it's basically yeah. soft serve ice cream. But it's it's cheap and it's it's really good, and that is uh-huh. the only good thing that Wendy's has going for it. Because everything else there just tastes so depressing. 
I used to like, like their I'm... fries until they changed them. When they add the, when it's like, uh, we've got the sea salt fries, real potatoes. You can see the skin on it. They're way worse than they used to be. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Their burgers have always just tasted like sadness. Burgers, I think, are okay if you get the larger ones, not the small, like, the tiny square patty ones. They're, like, about a millimeter thick. Um, But, like, the regular singles are alright. As long as you get them without pickles, because for some reason, Wendy's pickles taste like death. And they, like, contaminate the entire <laughs> burger. I have no idea what they're, where they get their pickles, but... Maybe it's the same place to get their tomatoes, man. Aha, slave labor, whatever. Like, don't, don't get political here. We're gonna <laughs> lose our sponsors. Anyway, put in offer code Joestar on, uh, yeah. Get half off your next Wendy's order. Haha, uh-huh, we don't have a sponsor this week. No. Uh, uh, I, we got enough I'm... hot dog money to last us a while. Well, so. maybe. Let's be real, it hasn't come in yet. Also, corn dogs, please. I'm Larry Davis. With me, as always, unfortunately, is George Brundle. Um, I haven't found anybody else who will do this. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking I'm about. I'm too tired to care. <laughs> you. I've been up uh, 26 hours at this point. That's right, it's another sleep-deprived recording because you, the listeners, demanded it, I assume. Uh, This week we'll be talking about episodes 27 through 29, which is Knims Oingo and Thoth's Boingo through Anubis Part 2. Why don't you start us off, tell us what happens in Knims Oingo and Thoth's Boingo. We're on a bus! Bus. With Oingo and Boingo. Uh, the there is a new page in there. Yeah. We like to party. Oingo and Boingo are in the bang bus. Uh, comic. Then There's another page in the comic, which as we kind of explained in the last episode, uh, has sort of precognitive abilities. Um, and it details that they'll come across uh, Jotaro, Joseph, and Polnareff. Uh, because Kakyoin and Avdol are, uh, as we soon find out, they're in the hospital. Also, the way you know, these get... guys look in this book, like, Jotaro looks relatively normal. Uh, Polnareff looks like a Rugrats character. And Joseph just looks like a monstrosity. Oh, yeah. No, I've talked before about how I like aesthetically ugly. Uh-huh. This comic is just ugly ugly. Oh, yeah. Um... But but yeah, Catcoin uh, and Abdul are not with them because they're in the hospital because apparently getting your eyes sliced open and your neck gouged will, you know, put you up for a few days. Yeah, they'll be fine. As we I mean, find out. Uh, yes, actually they will be fine. Uh, Kakyoin will be able to see again because his pupils weren't hit. Sure. Which, I saw that happen to him and I'm pretty sure they were. Uh, also, so, I'm not sure a pupil getting hit is actually the main problem. Wouldn't it be like if a, a cornea scratched, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about eyeballs. I'm not sure the, about the eyeball un- science. The unfortunate thing about all this is one of my eyes has been itching a lot, and I'm pretty sure something's in it that I can't seem to get out. I think it's a Gunpla Shard. 
So that happened Ugh. to me once. Oh no, that sounds terrible. Uh, it no, wasn't it's... like I, I just kind of blinked a lot and it came out. I don't know. I might have actually scratched it because uh, that's sort of what it feels like. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it mostly just itches a lot, but it goes away in a few days, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, in, in this comic panel, they are getting black tea, and they're getting poisoned by the black tea. So they, Oingo and Boingo, are like, okay, well, we know from the comic they go into this specific shop, so we're going to knock out the shop owner with a frying pan, and then we'll take his place, and we'll poison their drinks, and then, like, Dio will be super cool with us. Um, Oingo also and mentions then... his power is that he can stretch his face around to look like anybody he wants. Yeah, it's like that bit from uh, Mrs. Doubtfire where they got that movie on and someone's, like, rearranging someone's face like it's putty. Yeah, gross. And I'm pretty sure that's an actual movie and I just don't... I've never figured out, like, what the source of it is. Sure it isn't Brazil? It might be Brazil. But remember, I've not actually watched Brazil, so... Yeah, because it has the baby masks. Oh, don't remind me. (laughs) I don't like the baby. Uh, so, speaking of babies, Boingo is a, a little wee man, a small tiny lad, and his laugh, oh, Jesus, his laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like he's having, it sounds like he's what? Having a seizure. Oh, yeah, pretty much. He's going into fits, and like his, I mean, he's shaking while it's happening, and his eyes bug out, and he like, sort of like, Holds his hands out all weird, like he's a zombie or something. It's ugh. I love and it. And like even, even Oingo is looking down at him, like Jesus Christ, bro. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, yeah. We find out after I'll be out of the hospital in the next day. Uh, but Kakuin, he's kind of like out for this leg of the journey. He won't go blind, but he's still of no use. Uh, because turns out it still takes a while to heal from getting your eyeballs sliced open. Yeah, well, you find that out later, but yes. Yeah, well, like, this is the part where they mention, like, he isn't so lucky. Like, he's going to have to wait a while. Yeah. Um, But uh, they all decide that they're going to grab a drink and relax at Maxim Cafe. That's right. Really good cafe name. The cafe is just going to be full of sexy pictures of Jessica Alba. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would go to Maxim Cafe on a daily basis. Quick question. I want to see what you have to say about this. What do you think black tea is? Um, tea that is black? No. You haven't found anyone to replace me, so, you know, buckle but up. But I just want to know, like, what you would For, like, 40 more episodes. Uh, I would think that it is basically, like, uh, unsweetened sweet tea. Like, more bitter? Darker? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. Basically, any tea that you would get, like, if you got iced tea, like, that's black tea. It's just not green tea, basically. Oh, okay, so, like, this is a real broad thing. Yeah, because there are a whole bunch of right. other variations of black tea. Uh, I don't know why... Yeah, they're very yeah. unspecific right. when they go in here and say we're gonna have some black tea. Yeah, I just I kind of figured it would be like more bitter sweet tea, basically. Yeah. So it's just like you've I'm... got, you know, English breakfast. You've got uh, orange pico. You've got uh, 
I believe Earl Grey is a type of black tea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've never tried Earl Grey, but I really would like to, just because I hear people talk about it a whole lot. Like, people who seem all fancy and smart. You mean Patrick learned... Stewart? Yeah. yeah. I mean, hey, man, if that's what's keeping his youth... That's what he says. Pour, pour a bunch of Earl Grey in a tub and just let me soak in it. I'll be young it, forever. I believe Earl Grey has more caffeine than standard black tea, I think. Uh, it oh, has kind you're... of like a spicy flavor to it. It's it's actually pretty good. Huh. Uh, so yeah, they, they want to go get some black tea. And then uh, Joseph is suddenly like, eh, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, he, he points out that they're they're deep into... Oh, so there's there's this little bit where like they're deciding what cafe to go yeah, to, and Polnareff takes his cigarette out. out. Yeah, he flicks it in the air, and then whatever direction it sort of lands in is where they're going to go, and it points towards uh, Maximum, Maxim, not Maximum, Maximo goes in glory. Goes to glory. Yep. That's uh, all the game. So that's how they decide that they're going to Maximum Cafe. And uh, when they're in there, Joseph, he, like, kind of points out, like, we're deep into enemy stand territory, so, like, we could be poisoned by open drinks at any time. So we should, like, only get beverages that are served in a can or a bottle. And so he orders three Coca-Colas, uh, specifically from the right-hand side of the fridge, uh, with all the caps on so they can remove them themselves. And uh, Boingo is sweating bullets and just basically thinking... Fuck, 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 fuck. Boingo. Yes, Oingo. Did I say Boingo? Yes. Boingo is probably thinking the same thing. Well, no, because Boingo or... has, like, full faith in the future-telling book. He's like, the... He's still just laughing. It's He's predictions. Laughing. <laughs> it's predictions are absolute, yeah, and then he goes... Yeah. Starts having another seizure. Um... Yes, yeah, he does point out, like, the, the predictions in the comic always come true, no matter what. Uh, if it gets printed in the book, then it will always happen. Yes, but as oh. it turns out, it can be a bit of a monkey paw situation. Yeah, and I love it. Uh, I love any monkey paw scenario. That's why I liked the cameo episode so much, I think. Yeah. yeah. Also, he's so, named Cameo. Yeah, that I mean that helps. Um I was a little upset that you did not go with back and forth as the music choice for that episode, but you really can't go wrong with the cameo song. Exactly. Uh it it was I thought word up worked good for an intro. Tell me what it, it does the word up word up. Yeah. Cameo's great. Yeah. But so part of what makes the back and forth thing so great though is also the music video. Like I think if you just have the music by itself you're missing out on a huge part of what makes that an experience yes that that was also kind of part of my thinking that music video opens up on a cod piece swinging like a pendulum <laughs> yep there's a bit where a like a couple is like sort of flirting with each other in a hallway and then a dude busts out of a door with like a sick guitar just doing like riffing on it and his eyes are all bugging out and he gets like right up in their face like yeah Listen to these tasty licks. Cameo's cool. That woman's tit falls out at <laughs> one point in the music video. That's your favorite part. 
there's a little nip slip in there. <laughs> God, oh, it's such boy. a good video. <laughs> oh. That's what tips it over the edge for you. Yeah, it does. That's what puts best. it up. So the fun the funny thing is, yeah, it's a real goat of a music video. Mm-hmm. Um the the thing about that is though I did not notice that until you pointed it out, so you were the one who was all over the nip slip first. I noticed it, but I'm not saying that's what makes an all time classic. Uh you have expressed that to me privately. <laughs> no, I haven't. I actually like the Word Up video more because it has LeVar Burton in it. That's true. It has that weird part uh, where well, he's pushing through the crowd in like low frame rate, making these weird faces. Don't so I think you're forgetting though. Lavar Burton was in the back and forth video. I don't remember that. He played the codpiece. Oh, okay, sure. It was yeah. motion captured. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they had him dub some lines, but they didn't make it in. What? If you watch the, happening if in you this watch episode? the making of video, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening in this episode? <laughs> Oh, we got another one. <laughs> Speaking of all-time classics, this is one for the record books. Uh, it had to happen with the Oingo Boingo episode. So we both love Oingo yeah, Boingo. The characters and the, and the band. So, uh, yes. Um, Paul Riff is over here and he's going like, you are worrying way too much about getting poisoned. Like, we're fine with the black tea, but like, whatever. Let's get these colas. And then uh, someone in the back is just sort of like, hey, what the fuck? This cola's warm. Yeah, that's what is with this suck ass drink. That's just bad customer service. That's just like other countries, Mm. like not yeah, there was that or putting ice in sodas. Yeah, there was that guy in what was it like Singapore or something that was like have some hot cola. Uh, Hong Kong, but yes, okay, yeah, disgusting. Yes, yeah, a warm Coke is oh god, it's terrible. So, uh, I'm trying to see here. Um, so, yeah, they, they find out that they aren't cold, and then Polnareff is sort of just like, you're being way too paranoid. And then he uh, sort of suggests, like, hey, you know, if you're this paranoid about this particular cafe for whatever reason, why don't we just go to another one across the street? Like, maybe they got cold drinks. And then they look across the street, and there's just a fire breaking out of this <laughs> other cafe. And someone's like, ah, some idiot left a lit cigarette in the road and it caught a bunch of trash on fire. Who would do that? Who? And also, Polnareff doesn't even have a reaction of like, oh no, I did that. He's just like, man, what kind of jerk would just throw a lit cigarette <laughs> into the trash? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Polnareff is the best. Yep. So, um... Joseph orders three black teas anyway, and the poison goes into the teas, so this is all set up to go down, and as they're drinking it, Iggy jumps in, uh, which is a super Iggy thing, as it turns out, sort of just going like, hey, by the way, I'm in the show. Uh-huh. He's jumping into frame, doing a thing. Uh, but he jumps on a woman's table and steals her cake, and uh, they all spit their drinks out. They have a spit take over this, and then she's just throwing plates at the dog. Yep. And then they chase him out into the street yelling, You shitty dog, come back here! <laughs> so, um... Okay, here's the question for you. Was this intentional? Do you think Iggy actually knew what was going on and was getting them to not drink it? 
This is something that is debatable for me over this episode and the next two, whether the stuff that Iggy is doing that ultimately saves the day or the group is intentional. And I, I think, think it's it maybe is. more in the next episode where it gets very ambiguous. Hmm. But in in this, I think in this instance, no. I think he just wanted that cake. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I uh, like the, to think of Iggy I think as like a secret mastermind. Like, he's like Bane. You know, you look at him and you would not think that he has the brain power, but he's actually calculating everything. Sure. Are we talking about my favorite Bane, the one from Batman and Robin that is just wearing that luchador outfit under an open trench coat with a fedora? Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, when, when that's... he's the chauffeur for Poison Ivy, definitely. That's such a good... That I mean... It's awful and it's terrible and it's dumb, but also I seriously kind of like that look for Bane. <laughs> yeah, me too. Just so fucking stupid, I love it. Uh, yeah, like Iggy, I don't think lets on that he sort of understands or senses a stand user in this episode, but in like the next set, he definitely does. So mm -hmm. I think it's maybe more debatable that he's doing it intentionally in the next two. Um, but o Oingo is upset and Boingo's just like, you know, technically the prediction wasn't wrong because it like never showed that they died in it just that they put the drink in their mouth yeah and uh this is where he reveals a very important bit of information the comic can only predict the very near future yes uh so they walk around until more pages fill out and in the meantime uh one does and it shows a man with a very annoying face uh that <laughs> <laughs> oinko just punches Sure. And he drops, like, a wallet full, full of cash, and they're just like, we're rich! Yeah, and they say, like, the Boingo brothers are very lucky. <laughs> no, they aren't, as it turns out! No. Uh, another page of this comic fills out, and it shows that the group is on their way to visit, like, Kakyoin and uh, Avdol, and uh, it shows that Oingo and Boingo plant an orange-shaped bomb, like a tangerine bomb, in their car, and it causes Jotaro to... Explode in two. Mm -hmm. Straight down the middle. Just crack him open and read his secrets. Yeah. It's like a, like a kinder egg. Just split it open right down the middle. Find out what you got inside. Probably an army man or something. Or like a... It's I don't know. Disappointment. Yeah. Every kinder egg... Like kinder means disappointment in German. I mean, with Jotaro specifically, though. If you had, like, a Polnareff Kinder Egg, I bet something great in there, but a Jotaro one is like, you open it up and there's, like, nothing in there at all. Yeah. Ah, oh, great. It's like an M&M. So, uh, Oingo, they, they cut a hole in an orange and they gut it and then they put this bomb in there and they glued the top back on. And basically it's that if the orange gets peeled within three seconds of being peeled, it will explode. So he breaks into their car, and he sets the orange in there, but then Polnareff and Joseph come out, and they see someone messing around in their car. So Oingo has to, like, think real fast, and he rearranges his face to look like Jotaro, and he rearranges his hair to look like Jotaro's hat, but it's yeah. like a top hat-sized <laughs> version of it. Sure. He's <laughs> uh, going like, oh, you know, I just I came back, I forgot something in the car, and, uh... Here's the thing I think is really funny about this episode. 
he rearranges himself to look like the most useless and underdeveloped character of this part so far, and does objectively more than Jotaro ever does in a single episode of part three. Yeah. Like, hey, here's Jotaro if he had a personality and actually did stuff. <laughs> also, speaking of very annoying faces, Jotaro's. Yep. We really love all the Joe stars on Stand to Deliver. Well, yeah. Not I a mean guess. thing to say about any of them. Song is their name is specifically Joseph Joestar. Those other two can get fucked. Yeah. So, um, he's like also extremely unconvincing. Like he has the wrong jacket. His hat is too oblong. Like I said, and his like face is not even the right shape. And uh, Ponref is like, okay, whatever. Like we're going to go visit Kakyoin and Abdal. So like, get in the car, and he shows him in. And uh, that is when Boingo realizes he is going to get blown up. Boingo. Oh, well, Boingo realizes it, too, because he watches him, like, drive away, and he's like, oh, no. Oh, okay. But yeah, it, it's, running after. it's when Oingo is, like, in the back seat, and he's looking at the orange rolling around, and he's freaking out. Yeah, so he actually, he takes the orange and he chucks it out of the car, and thinks, like, he's safe. And then Iggy, who was outside of this moving vehicle, caught the orange, runs up to the the uh, driver's side window of the car, jumps up into the driver's side window, and just drops the orange off to Joseph. Yep. Again, Iggy, MVP. Yeah, and then he just goes away for the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get into the car with him, he's just gone. Like, he left out of frame. Yeah. Okay, he is great. Uh, so, um, I, I want to say, uh, trying to catch up to like exactly what I really like next. the bit Break where little... when Iggy shows up with the uh, orange, Oingo is like, "Yow!" and uh, Joseph and Polnareff are like, "What are you doing? You don't usually make yow noises." And he says something like, "No, this is like a yeah." There, there's a cow over there oh right yeah it's and then it turns out there is a cow yeah yeah uh, and then, oh yeah Polnareff turns around and he's like hey are you an imposter <laughs> he's like nah so like at at first I'm thinking this bit that Polnareff does is actually to out him as an imposter because it seems like that's what he's going for but then as it goes on and it, it sort of satisfies him that he's not it makes me realize this is a thing that actually happened between episodes between him and Jotaro. Yeah. Like, they just have fun doing cigarette tricks. Because why not? Yeah. He's like, hey, do this trick that you showed me last night. And he, like, he does a trick where he sticks a cigarette in his mouth, uh, opens it up without, dro- his mouth up without dropping it, and then flicks the cigarette backwards into his mouth, still lit, and blows smoke out of his nose. Uh-huh. And then and Oingo's uh, Oingo... like, yeah, okay, that's not too bad. I could do that. Yeah, he's like, if my life depends on it, I could do that. And then he's like, yeah, sure, all right, give me a cigarette. He's like, okay, yeah, awesome. Do it with five like you did last night. <laughs> and then Oingo is starting to freak out, and it has this fantasy segment of him on top of a giant cigarette with an orange floating around him in space. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and we get, like, some really good frames of basically Jotaro with, like, five lit cigarettes in his mouth just looking super intense. Uh-huh. It's, it's like that like... bit with uh, Zenigata. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I-, I was gonna say it's like that bit in Seinfeld where Kramer drinks and smokes at the same time. If we, well, that we get to in just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, because when he does manage to successfully flip all five in his mouth... Polner's like, okay, sweet, second part of the trick, you drink juice while the cigarettes are in your mouth. Yep. Here's and to of course, feeling the good all the time. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, too, if this were like a video podcast or something from now on, we would have to pop up when we talk about Jotaro, like a shot of him with the cigarettes in his mouth and file photo on it. <laughs> that would be good. Mr. X. <laughs> Uh, so he makes up another excuse about not feeling well, uh, which is super believable because he, like, just swallowed five cigarettes. Like, I'd feel not so good, like, if that happened to me. Um, and then, uh, he's got, like, his hands clasped together while he's sort of, like, begging to be let out of the car so he could go get sick. And then Ponorev freaks out! Noticing that his hand is clasped with the left thumb on top, and for a moment, Oingo's just like, oh my god, is that something like Jotaro wouldn't do? Did I mess up? And then, nah, it turns out, like, Polnareff heard once that means you are a woman in your past life. <laughs> what? This whole episode is just... It's fantastic! <laughs> None of it makes any sense, and, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh... <laughs> and he's just like, hey, Jotaro, let's see you could eat a whole orange faster. <laughs> also, Joseph has to try it to see what side his thumb is on. Yeah. And so they're both uh, left on top. It. He's like, oh. Yeah. They were both broads in a past life, it turns out. Uh, yeah, so he dares uh, Jotaro to see who could eat an orange faster. And so Oingo really starts freaking out. And is like thrashing around in the car, and he like crawls onto Polnareff's lap and starts wailing and flailing. <laughs> yeah, and like clawing for the door. Uh, and there's like we're right by the hospital. You could go like take a crap there. And he's like, no, no, I'll just, there's a rock over there. I'll go run and do it. And so he gets out of the car, and then Polnareff stops him. And we get this really, really, really intense back and forth, like glaring between. Jotaro, Polnareff, and Joseph. And then it just ends with Polnareff going like, Hey, don't forget toilet paper! <laughs> with uh, not very much toilet paper, either. Yeah, no, look, uh... They were in India, man. Uh, yeah. Shitting is a... is a, Shitting's very thematic in this part of uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. He's just lucky that there's no pig. Also, they're not in India, they're in Egypt. I know, but they came from India. Oh, okay. They still got that Indian food in their system. It it sticks with you. It's been a while since... I mean, it's been a while since they were in India, so... Uh, mm. It's probably through them by now. Uh, so as they're leaving, uh, Polnareff is sort of just like, you know, yeah, this was in... This orange was in a gutter, like, maybe I should throw it out, and Joseph's like, yeah, just get rid of that thing. So he tosses it out, and as Oingo is sort of, like, running away, thinking he's managed to outsmart the comic, uh, the orange rolls under his foot, and he steps on it, and the top comes off. Uh, and then he gets exploded in half. 
somehow. Yeah. So Oingo's dead, and it's just Boingo now, so, you know, it's probably not going to be as... Well, it's probably not going to be as good with just Boingo. Like, he's probably going to get real edgy, start an alt-rock phase, you know? Probably only got, like, one more episode in it before he just has to fold. Yeah. I mean, they do... He's going to have maybe, like, a, you know, a farewell show, farewell episode once, uh, which is kind of disappointing, really, all things considered. He does some things that you would expect him to, you know, the the older stuff, but it doesn't sound like it used to. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like they want to go and he wants to go in a totally different direction. Sort of like uh, when they became the Oingo Boingo Brothers after they were the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo Brothers. You know, there was a kind of a shift there too, but it was one that was for the better, I think. Yes, I I agree. Anyway, yes, actually, Oingo is still alive. He does get blown up, like, straight down the middle, like the comic predicted, but he's still alive. Yeah. And, like, he has this whole speech he's giving his brother uh, about going after them, and uh, the dude from before that he punched shows up with a posse. <laughs> Annoying face has a posse. <laughs> and yeah, they, they beat the crap out of Oingo and Boingo. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as they arrive at the, uh, Paul and Rev and Joseph arrive at the hospital, and they meet up with the real Jotaro, who obviously has no recollection of any of this stuff that has happened, uh, literally was barely in the episode at all, and did not do anything yet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, an ambulance shows up, and they wheel out Oingo and Boingo, and then we get another badumch. I'm really getting tired of the badumps. I am too. It was um, funny the first time. Yeah, it's it's gone on too much. Uh, but then we get a special version of the credits. <laughs> this thing is terrifying. Just what font face did they use for your subtitles? Was it the normal one for everything else? Yeah. Why did yours use Joker Man? I yes, it literally used Joker Man. Great, great. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It, I objectively had the better version of this ending theme then. Yeah, that's I absolutely to the font to use. Well, I wonder um, if I actually watched it on Crunchyroll's site, if it'd be different or not, because I think the fonts on the VRV app are different. I don't know. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, it was Joker Man font through the whole thing. And yeah, this is like a totally weird song sung by the Oingo Boingo brothers that are, it's sort of like recounting the events and uh, what their powers are and their bond, and it's all done in that freaky comic style, and it is so good. Yeah. If you are not following along watching episodes of this podcast, uh, first of all, what's wrong with you? Second, at least go look up that uh, ending theme on YouTube. So gross looking. It is. Oh, but it's so good. Yeah, this. I am not disappointed by the Oingo Boingo episode, which is. It makes me really happy. I knew that Oingo Boingo was a thing for a while now, and it's been a long road to get there. Yeah. Um, I, I, what I'm saying is, we can end. We can end the podcast now. Like that. That's all we were really trying to get good, to. Was the Oingo Boingo episode. Yeah. Yeah. They um. Oingo Boingo are kind of a weird thing because they're not really a threat and like they're defeated without any of the Stardust Crusaders even really knowing they did it 
And I actually think that's a really fun way to sort of frame a stand fight in this is it's sort of like it's a stand fight from reverse perspective. It's not, oh, God, how is the group going to get out of this one? It's more of like, I actually don't want the stand user to die here. Yeah. Like, they need to figure out a way to get out of this. And it's not even a traditional, like, we're each pulling out our stands, whipping them out, and getting in a fight. It's trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. Okay, no manga anime differences listed for this. So what you're saying is, it's the perfect episode. <laughs> I guess so. Tightly uh... paced. I mean, there were uh, there was the change for the last one with like the nine eleven stuff that was removed. All right, remember? So, yeah, maybe that could kind of count here. Uh, Suda says, "Here is Oingo and Boingo's episode, who were introduced in the third part of episode twenty six. It wasn't done because there was not enough material for episode twenty six, but more because there was too much for episode twenty seven, and we had to resolve this problem." Firstly, I want to point out how closely we had reproduced Boingo's comic book stand. This version is made from illustrations from the original manga that we colorized. This episode doesn't shine through memorable action scenes, so the stakes were elsewhere. We had to find a good pacing to develop this story entirely carried by the voice acting of the two voice voice actors. On top of that, it was all accompanied by a Disney or cartoon-style score, which I found had the nicest effect and perfectly fitted the tone of the episode. What? Oh, nothing. I was taking a drink. (laughs) No, it sounded like you were like, Yep! I remember well the dub stage... going down the wrong Shut up. I remember well the dub stage where Daisuke Ono, Jotaro's VA, really looked like he was having a great time. His text was full (laughs) of lines the real Jotaro would never have said. Daisuke Ono had a good time because for once we let him play an actual character. I did like how when he's disguised as Jotaro, Oingo still knows to throw in a yari yari daze. Oh, that's right, he does. Uh, The special ending is an idea I had proposed. It pleased Mr. Umori, the producer, and it came to fruition. Regarding the music, Yugo Kano managed all of the ending's composition. He really polished it. I find the end result very funny. See, that ending is Suda's idea. Awesome. Suda's great. I love, I love Suda. <laughs> Suda does it again. Next, Thank you, ep- Suda. Episode twenty-eight, Anubis Part One. Hey. So I had mentioned to you that as time goes on, and I like pulling her up more and more. I was thinking about buying that um, that that action figure that they have of him, along with uh, Silver Chariot, because together they're only, it's like sixty bucks, which is I've paid more for figures. Yeah, because you're a freak. Um, yeah, nah, I gotta. Something's gotta fill that hole, you know. Gotta gotta do what makes you happy. So, uh, one of the things that it came with that I noticed right before this episode, like before I even saw the preview, was a katana. And a second one that is, like, broken in half with, with each half of the katana. And I was like, huh, I wonder, like, what where that comes from. These two episodes, it turns out. So, like, I actually think that is a really neat accessory to include with that thing. Uh-huh. Is, uh, happened both of those, so. so yeah, this is I, a I weird stand, too. Now. Like, it is, yeah. I feel like this is maybe another example of Araki not quite having it figured out, but... 
the effect of it is cool. Yes, um, there's a bit later where I sat down and maybe thought a little bit too much about logistically how this stand would even work, but we'll, we will, um, point is, well, uh, So, during the, uh, Death 13 thing, they specifically say that stands are based on the mental strength of their user. And that's also, like, partly why, like, it's directly tied to their mental state, which is why they could get it in the dream if they had it out when they fall asleep. A sword doesn't have yes. a mental state. There's also, I suppose it doesn't, there's no harm in getting into it now because we never do see the stand user, ultimately. Like, the true stand user. Um, no, because Anubis dead. is a stand, yeah, Anubis is a stand with no user because his user is dead. Like, he died... I, like hundreds of years ago or something like that yeah it was and uh, whoever the, forged the sword i think yeah and and what kind of threw me off about that was if uh if you get hurt however you got hurt is reflected on the stand and vice versa so this is sort of implying that a stand continues to exist perhaps if its user dies of like old age or natural causes but it still wouldn't quite make sense because if you're dying of old age it's still like organ failure yeah. Like your body is still dying because it is it is damaged and degrading. Mm -hmm. So it, it makes absolutely no sense that it would continue to exist. I think that if you still had an actual stand user here, and it was just that his stand's power was to be able to possess other people and objects, like that would make total sense. But then you wouldn't also quite reach the same ending that these two episodes ultimately come to. Which is an amazing ending. Like, the way that they... The whole bit where Anubis is essentially dying is fucking great. Mm-hmm. So... Like, for the the purposes of this these two episodes, I think Anubis is awesome, but also, like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, I like the stand, I like these episodes. Yeah, don't... 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 don't it's a show, you should really just relax. Oh, no, now I gotta edit that back in. <laughs> no, I'm not editing anything. Okay. I'm on a good streak. I'm, I'm going having... I'm going over to the Mystery... It's been uh, how many days since the well, last been... Mystery Science Theater 3000 reference? Oh, uh, it was in part two. I don't know, but I'm on a uh, good streak of not having to off. edit anything uh, because you haven't had any racist outbursts that I've had to cut out. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? What? You know. I'm not Danny. You know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. Actually, I also, you might have to remind me. That's not true because of the one a couple of weeks ago that I did uh, too much editing on. Anyway. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we Robin catch Miller. up in the hospital. Uh, Abdul is fine, and we get this bit with Kakuin and his precious pupils. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, he's he's out of the he's out of the group. They voted him out. Uh, so, the gang is now sailing the Nile, and uh, some men are walking a cow near the river. Uh, there's two guys, a third man and his son, and their cow, and the father is very disrespectful to his son. Just a real jerk. And uh, they come across a katana discarded on the side of the road, and uh, the father takes a katana and he tries to remove it from its sheath, because uh, he's looking at this thing, he's like, oh man, I can sell this for like a ton of money. Also, fuck my son. Yeah. It's also and, not uh, a katana. It is a sword. In my dub, they keep calling it a katana. It's sharp on both sides, I, though, my isn't sub. it? 
rather. Um, also, so the, the other like two the men also like no one on it just it. looks like a regular sword. Yes, yeah. Uh, no one can get it out of its sheath. Uh, in fact, when the other two men try it, somehow one of them like slices his hands open. I never got how and, this works. Uh, like it happens a couple of times. I don't know like what's causing that. It's because the sword can phase through things, so I'm thinking that maybe it was phasing slightly through the hilt to cut him. But I thought it would only do that if you were controlling it. I think it's just something... No, because uh, later on that sword flies through like a brick wall. And he says like, oh, I was like, oh, I was yeah. too excited and I didn't realize I was phasing shit. Yeah. So it's something that the sword can do. I don't think it has to actually be like uh, controlled at that point in time. Okay. I think it's just like uh, him saying, like, I don't want these people to control me. I want this dude. I think Anubis is a dick. And so it's probably just being a dick right now. Mm, but yeah. yes, also, I, I think it wants Shaka like specifically. Um, so, yeah, like Shaka is the son's name and he's over here going like, no, like, let me let me try it. Let me try. And then finally, when this guy cuts his hand, his dad's just like, whatever, just take it. Try. I don't care if you cut your hand. I hate you, son. Yeah. So, Chalk uh, is able to get it out, like, effortlessly, and suddenly looks very cool here when he does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess it is only sharp on one side. I seem to recall um, the part in the barber shop later, like, that he got cut the other side, but I guess not. I don't know. No. No, he, draw, he pulls it towards himself. Um... So yeah, uh, I had wrote here, of course, the guy who looks like he might actually last two episodes is the one that removes it. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, which we find out. Maybe not the case. Uh, mm, but no. Chaka's father still wants the sword, and so he's, like, wrestling with the sun for it, and uh, Chaka kind of falls back, and it causes the sword to drive into his dad's heart. And so he's wailing around on the ground with the sword sticking out of him, and like one of the guys crashes down to help him, and the sword falls back and cleaves his skull. <laughs> yeah. And so, the other guy uh, says, Chaka... quote, there's something weird about this sword. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, man. Shaka picks it up, and then the stand, uh, Anubis starts speaking to him, and... Uh, since says, he removed the sword, he's now the stand's user. He says, I uh, want you to kill. Kill! <laughs> I did actually write here, um, he's now the stand's user and inherently becomes an expert swordsman with a, de a desire to kill. It's just like the scene from Son of Sam. <laughs> I like how that's come up twice in a row now. <laughs> yeah, um, and then underneath that note is, also he has thick, luscious green lips now because reasons. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, this, the remaining guy's like, yo, I don't want trouble. And then Chaka's like, too bad, I got the bloodlust. And so he, the man hides behind the cow and then Chaka slices him in half through the cow without hurting the cow. Because again, this sword's ability is that it can phase through solid objects. I kind of um, just realized that when Chaka like turns evil and is possessed by Anubis, he looks a lot like Grace Jones. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah, alright. I can see that. Yeah. Oh, by by the way, uh three for three on these episodes containing cows. 
Yep. Fun, fun JoJo's factoid for you. Mm-hmm. 107 JoJo's facts in uh, the first three episodes of season four, season three, rather. There's a cow in every episode. Second half of season three. Yeah. Another fun fact this series oh, wait, no, was... I guess uh, this would be second advice. half of season two, because season three is part four. I I really hate those videos, by the way, that I'm kind of bringing up, where it's what? like, here's a hundred facts that... It's these videos that always end up in my feed, and it's like, a hundred and five facts about this series that you should know, and I... Every now and then, sort of check them out and see, like, okay, is it actual, like, interesting facts about this thing? And it's always stuff that's just, like, Rick and Morty was made by Justin Roiland. <laughs> what a fact. Yeah, sure, that's that's a fact, I guess. Hey, I have a Fucker. question for you. Yeah? Describe Pikachu's tail. Uh, it's like a lightning bolt. But what else about it? Like, what color is it? It is yellow, and then at the base it is brown. Anything else? It is. It comes out of his butt. Okay. I don't... What? No. Where do you want me to go with it? Oh, because a lot of people remember it as having, like, black on the end, and it doesn't. And it's no. like one of those Bernstein Bears things, apparently. I, maybe there was, like, some early media where they had shading on that? thing yeah like because i seem to remember drawing it that way when i was a kid but it's also very possible that it was just like something i didn't see correctly somewhere and it rubbed off i have when i was a kid i drew plenty of things that i liked and drew them completely wrong so um anyway yeah yeah. Uh, so the the gang's at their next destination and paul ref's whining about food so joseph gives them all of iggy's gum and then a man comes up to sell him fake papyrus, and he just rips it in half. So he's like, "Yeah, if it was real papyrus, wouldn't been able to do that. Get lost." And that's yep. how Polnareff realizes that he has now separated himself from the gang because they wandered off. Yeah. And then Iggy steals his gum, which is why it's important <laughs> to bring it up. Uh, so Polnareff is chasing after him, which leads him to an isolated area from the group. Uh, there's still people nearby. Um, here's what's funny about this: there's a bunch of people nearby. Is a whole bunch of, like pillars. Uh, coming up from the ground, it looks like there's maybe an altar in the background or something as a tourist destina- destination. Um, Polnareff notices Shaka there, and it's just like, you know, this is really bold of you to confront me with all these people around. But then we don't see people anymore after this. Uh, they probably got out of there when these two guys were hopping around, like, swinging blades at each other. They also, well, yeah, I was going to say, I guess they wouldn't be able to see it, but they just wouldn't be able to see Polnareff's. Yeah. Because, you know, like, Chaka's still got the sword. But, but yeah, it's funny for them to point out that there's people there, but then you don't see a single frame after that with people in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm nitpicking, but... I mean, to me, how I read it, though, from what Polnareff says, was more like, it's interesting that you come at me head on and don't try to hide. Like, not necessarily in front of other people, just, like, actually being there to challenge him. Yeah, yeah, like, his overall point still makes sense. Because, like, stand users do not do that. They usually sneak up on them somehow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, to the, the point few that they, that they never have... even know that they were there. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, Chaka starts attacking him, and uh, Polnareff doesn't realize yet that the sword is a stand, uh, and he identifies Chaka as an amateur, which I don't know if that's like a translation thing or not, because, like, Anubis told him he would be an expert with the sword now that they're, like, linked. And, like, mm-hmm. later on, Polnareff is like, oh, this guy's really good with the sword, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember him saying that. Okay. Well, uh, nonetheless, he, like, he senses that something is off, and so he's, like, trying to keep his distance. And uh, this is when, like, Shaka slices through the pillar, but it's the phasing thing. So it sort of tips Polnareff off to that. Also cuts Polnareff uh, across his chest, but not through his uh, shirt, or whatever you call that thing. Yeah, yeah his, uh, it doesn't cut him through his top. His blouse. Top, top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Polnareff, uh, he sort of realized that since, this, uh, since he can phase through things, um, he needs to put more distance between him and Chaka, so he jumps on top of a pillar, and he dares him to like attack him from the ground, but instead Chaka actually slices the pillar in half and rides it down in its blind spot towards Polnareff, uh, so Polnareff does a really cool thing here, a power that we did not know that he had before, where he's able to shoot his blade out of his rapier, uh, ricochets it off another pillar, and sinks it into Shaka's neck. Mm-hmm. And, and like, then he... Uh, I only have one shot at that, because I only have one blade, which is kind of weird for a stand. You would think they would have some ability to, like, pop out another one, but... Uh... Yeah. Also, um... Uh, you skipped that uh, Polnareff says, All right, Chuckster, how about this? Right. Well, I think in mine he calls him, like, Chalky or something like that. I like Chuckster. Which is, yeah, like, it's much less good, which is why I probably did not write it down. Uh, yeah, uh, Polnareff uh, starts to withdraw the katana from its sheath, but then, like, Iggy and the gang interrupts him, and so he puts it back before he can take it out completely. Uh... And then, like, a bunch of mice come up and steal the sword. I don't know what this is about. Like, at, at first that seems like it would be, oh, another stand user is summoning them to try to get it to him. Nah, it's just, like, rats. Yeah, it's four rats pick the sword up and start carrying it away. Uh, so the group, uh, they need to catch a fairy, and so they meet back up in the hotel, and Polnareff takes the katana along, and uh, Iggy is, like, freaking out over the sword. He's growling. and hmm? Who are you calling a fairy? You. A fairy! You're a real, you're a real Nancy boy, a real dandy, a fancy man. Who told you you could work with men? <laughs> So Iggy's freaking out about the sword. He's barking at it. Um, and no one thinks to trust the dog, which, frankly, it's Iggy, so they should not. No. Uh, yeah. So Polnareff is just like, all right, I'm going to turn this over to the cops because it is an edged weapon. Yeah. Anything could be an edged weapon. That's even right. the sword. I mean, you think about how quickly you could die from an edged weapon. If that guy is right up on you... Uh, one second, you're dead. He's ten feet from you. Two seconds, you're dead. He's thirty feet from you. You maybe have a chance, but four seconds and you're dead. Man. So. Watch out for he's Satanists. He's taking the. 
He takes the sword with him, but instead of going straight to the cops, he decides to, like, go get a haircut first. Sure. And, like, Jotaro's, Jotaro's with him because Joseph is just like, hey, dumbass, don't, like, go off on your own anymore. You got a tat fight stand user. Like, this could have gone real bad. Um, so, yeah, he's getting his haircut, and uh, he asks the barber to move the sword for him. Uh, which, this is weird, because... We find out you have to completely withdraw the sword to get possessed by it. I don't know when the barber actually did that, because he just sort of picks it up and sets it aside. Yeah, not sure. Uh, I don't know if you have to fully withdraw it, or maybe just like... But, th but then it would have also just possessed Polnareff to begin with. I know, but I, I instead... think maybe you have to have it like out for a little bit and actually like pay attention to it, because he kind of gets distracted and shuts it again. So may I, I, think I, I don't know. He still had it out longer than I think this barber would have, though, because he was still going like, oh, you know, this is a beautiful sword. Yeah. So... Uh, but uh, the barber comes back and starts to give him a uh, shave with a straight razor. So already kind of know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Polnareff is just like, ah, that razor's dull. Sharpen it. And so he comes back with the sword and is like, is this sharp enough for you? Just sticks it right up under his neck. And that is where our episode ends. I'll give you a close shave, you fucker. Wait, oh, there is a really good bit, though, that I forgot, where uh, Polnareff's all relaxed in this chair, and he's like, oh, this is Trace Bien! Trace Bien! <laughs> yeah. Also, when he has the sword to the ground, he's crouching there, Joseph walks up to him and is like, why are you doing sit? Like, why are you crouching like that? Did you step on a turd? <laughs> I don't think that was in my translation of it. I think that was, like, a much more innocuous line. Oh. Okay. Uh, manga anime differences. Uh, scenes featuring Iggy were added. Extra Iggy. Bonus Ig. Oh. I always love it when they add an extra dash of Ig. Uh, Polnareff summoned Silver Chariot earlier in the encounter, and brief fighting ensues, mostly a Polnareff dodging Chaka's attacks. A scene explaining the locals is removed from its place in the manga, but is added to the end of the next episode. That whole thing, man. That, boy, they could have removed that forever. Yeah. Seen with the locals. When Jotaro and Polnareff visit Khan, Jotaro is seen reading a magazine titled Marine Life, foreshadowing his future job as a marine biologist. So Wait, seriously, he, he becomes an actual marine biologist? I guess. I don't remember that being mentioned in part four. We joked about that just being like the lamest career and it would be perfect for Jotaro, and that is actually what they did. Yep, apparently so. Alright, man. No. Sure, do it. <laughs> so, here's what Suda says. Here's a sword fight that fans have really appreciated. It's thanks to the whole team, with Hiro Fujimoto in charge of the storyboard and direction, and Tsunichi Ishimoto, who is responsible for the animation. Several people felt sorry for them because they had landed a sword fight which was bound to be complicated, but the final result was even classier than we had hoped for. I am really grateful to all of them. Classy! 
Uh, here the story is developing a feeling close to that of a horror story, which we had ensured to put in the foreground. However, the metamorphosis scene, where a meek Chaka picks up Anubis and transforms, is so sudden I can't stop finding it comical. Ha 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 ha. The beginning of the episode allowed us to have more screen time for Kakuin. Since he won't recover for a while, it's best to show him while we can. The scene where Polnareff uses his secret technique and shoots his sword's blade is rendered in 3D. We have fewer occasions of using 3D in the Egypt arc. It was the first time since episode 25. Which is funny, because I think like the Egypt arc opens with the CG shot. Yeah, it does, that desert one where it like yeah. sort of zooms around. There's a, I think there was another in this episode where, like, uh, Polnareff is deflecting the sword through a pillar, and so it's, like, circling around the pillar that actually, like, looked... It looked what? It looked pretty good. Oh, yeah. In general, the yeah. CG's way better than it was. Yes, yeah. They, at this point in time, had really started to figure it out, so... Is that all uh, Director Suda has to say? Yep. Did he keep it nice and brief this time? Oh, yep. awesome. Suda brief. Uh, so, uh, Polnareff, is, he's still stuck in this uh, position here as we start the next episode with the sword underneath his chin. So he uh, lowers the barber's chair, avoiding the blade, and as it's being pulled back, Barber pulls it back too much and sinks it into his own chest. Yeah, what an idiot. Yeah, what a dumb dumb. So Polnareff uh, figures out at this point that the stand is in the sword. And uh, even though he's able to like block its next few attacks, it starts to like overpower him. Uh, and we get like a weird little cutaway of Joseph teasing Iggy, and I wrote here, Joseph is still a dick to animals. <laughs> yeah. I don't even specifically remember what he was doing, but he's... Just this real brief bit of like, by the way, Joseph, still an asshole. I don't remember what he was doing either. I think he was like teasing Iggy by like holding his gum out of reach or something right, like that. Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. That that was it. Um, but uh, here's another power that Anubis has. It it basically can memorize somebody's fighting style and adapt to it very quickly. And every time it attacks, it gets stronger and faster. So. Polnareff is getting pushed into a corner and uh, he kind of gets like pinned there he's on his ass and uh, Polnareff tries the ricochet shot again but this time he gets deflected okay I'm so I have this running right now I realize why I thought it was sharp on both sides because this part where uh, Khan is sort of um, dueling with Silver Chariot and pushing forward with the the blades against each other and he, like cuts chariot's forehead and it cuts uh polnareff's too he's hitting it with the dull side of the blade like you can see the sharpened side is the other side so yeah that's gotta yeah. be like an animation error yeah okay that like that was I, a, hell, I just... suda suda just got done saying like hey sword fights are actually difficult to animate so it was probably just like but that's the result mm. of that i would think uh, that that seems like a pretty easy oversight. You know. Araki once drew Jay Guile with two normal hands, so... Yeah. Speaking you know, of easy oversights. Yeah. So, Polnareff uh, finally asks Jotaro for help. 
He's like, hey, would you, like, do something for once? And uh, Platinum does this, like, um, he punches him and he punches him, like, uh, Khan out of the window yeah. into the street. And then, uh, like, so Khan gets back up and he is going after Star Platinum now more than he is Polnareth. And Platinum does this, like, that, like, clappy hand thing where he catches the sword in midair and then he breaks it in half. Yeah, the classic. Yeah. A move everybody loves. So, uh, they, they, they sort of dispatch him at this point, like, Khan's knocked out or dead. I can't remember which. I think he's just knocked out. Okay. And uh, Polnareff then explains, like, okay, anyone who touches the drawn sword is under its control, so they need to carefully put it in its sheath without picking it up. And then a cop comes up over to them like going hey I heard like people were fighting over here that's a sword you need to give that to me whoop whoop it's the sound of the police <laughs> yeah so Polnareff and the cop are like struggling uh, for whoever is able to like keep the sword and Polnareff accidentally draws the sword in the process uh, oopsie doops so uh, now Jotaro and possessed Polnareff have to battle to see who is the star of Stardust Crusaders. <laughs> and at this point, Jotaro says something like, I never imagined what it would be like having to face Polnareff. They had to fight him when they first met him. I, I mean, Avdol to did be it. Fair, but... I think he's, yeah, he's talking about like, I personally did not consider what it would be like for me to fight him. Mm, but... When Abdul was fighting him, he should have at least given it the consideration of, oh, if he can't pull this off, I'm going to have to fight him. Yeah, I, that's true. That's maybe giving Jotaro too much credit. Yeah. Yeah. So Jotaro tries to catch the blade again, uh, but it speeds up and is, like, coming for his head, so he headbutts it and, like, deflects it off of the uh, headband on Star Platinum. Uh, so instead, it, like, connects with his shoulder. Which, you know, preferable to getting killed. Yeah. And then he knocks Polnareff out of the way, and then uh, Polnareff gets back up and uh, summons both Divine and Anubis. I almost said Anubis. That's not right at all. An An uh, and Silver Chariot. An and then we get the announcer going, Silver Chariot plus Divine Anubis dual, dual wielding! wielding. Uh, also, it said in the uh, in the little buffer that the standmaster was Khan. I don't know if the barber's name was Khan necessarily, or if that was the name of the blacksmith. Oh, that was the barber. It was okay. Good to know. Um, um, the blacksmith has a name. It's, I'm trying to remember. It's uh, I can look it up here. It was. It's he's named after like a Santana album, I think. Oh, sure. Because why not? He's named after the hellish winds of Mexico. Yeah. Uh, Caravan Sarai. Uh, also, the That's a good name. That's a really good name. The users listed? Uh, Caravan Sarai. Chaka, possessed. Four unnamed mice, possessed. So I guess it possessed them <laughs> somehow? Con yeah, which again possessed. is inconsistent because he wouldn't have been drawn. When those yeah. mice touched it. Yeah. Also, all four of those mice would have had to come by and touch it. So, yeah. it's weird. 
I, I don't know. Jean-Pierre Polnareff possessed, and then <laughs> unnamed boy possessed, and unnamed cow possessed. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't actually word. possess the cow, though. That's the thing. Yeah. He doesn't actually get to it. So, uh, he's now just spinning the rapier and the sword around, just going, like, full General Grievous. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> just as cool as General Grievous. Yeah. Joseph Jotaro jumps down and just goes, hello there. But Jotaro sucks. A surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. Right? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't like Jotaro. You don't say. Uh, don't like him at all. So, uh, he uses a star finger, which we have not seen for a good long while and it knocks off uh, some of the armor on like a uh, chariot's shoulder blade and then anubis is like oh hey that makes me lighter dumbass like thanks for letting me know about that uh. so he pierces jotaro's hands together gives him the stigmata yep and then stabs him in the gut with the katana and uh Seeing Anubis shout "Yatta" with his fists in the air is really, really funny to me. Yep, just yells "Yatta." Also, imagine so that sword got broken off. Imagine getting stabbed in the gut with just that broken off sword. God, yeah. Thankfully for Jotaro, it goes through his belt, so it sort of like blunts it. But yeah, yeah God, yeah, that I couldn't begin to imagine. I've never been stabbed by a normal, like, pointed blade before, and I imagine that would be bad enough. Yeah. Ugh. So, Star Platinum uh, starts, like, shaving this sword down by punching it on each side, alternating, until it's down to the hilt. Uh-huh. And then he, like, claps the hilt and explodes it. Thanks for also clapping to... You know, add, add that sound. Yeah, needed to add the effect. Yeah. Uh, so then Jotaro says, I've never been so drained from a fight before. You know, all those fights that you get in Jotaro. <laughs> yeah, he does it all the time. I mean, pretty much every episode, he's always getting into something. Yeah, he auras someone for a little bit and is just like, whew, that took a lot out of me. <laughs> Yeah, he, so he... yeah, the uh, the upper half of the katana is still sitting out. So Anubis is not completely defeated yet, even and though Anubis is shown to be exploding, and then gets possessed by it. And that's when we find out the backstory with the blacksmith and uh, how Dio pulled the sword from a museum, uh, but he could never hope to overpower Dio's stand, the world, and instead swore his allegiance to him. And I think this is actually the first bit where we do get confirmation that Dio stand is the world they've shown the world before they they have and then Kakuin kind of hypothesized that okay well if you got whole horse and the world left then perhaps the world is the name of Dio stand but this is the first bit where like one of the bad guys outright calls it the world I feel like they've said it before but okay maybe but, like, um, really, they show Anubis exploding. So, like, why yeah, then they do. is he still here for the other part of the sword? So we could get a really awesome ending to all of this. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, Jotaro is, like, wounded, and you mentioned a Band-Aid in, like, like a while ago, and mm-hmm. I was trying not to reveal the bit here where Polnareff is, like, looking through his sack, and he's just like, I got a Band-Aid, we could put that on this, like, gaping stomach wound of yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, he's gonna have the kid throw the blade full force at Jotaro to kill him. Uh, but then Iggy shows up and trips this kid, seemingly by accident. That's where mm. things get a little ambiguous. Because uh, he's know. going for, like, candy that the kid dropped. And so this blade misses Jotaro's head wide by a mile, and is just hurling through the air while Anubis is screaming, like, Oh, God, like, I'm headed towards the Nile, and if I fall in the river, then I'll never be able to get out of the river. This is really bad. He's saying, Oh, oh no. God. Oh, my. It took five of them. Five of them. <laughs> it's like, oh good, I'm veering off, I'm going to hit this like wall, and then I'll be totally fine. Oh no, I fade through the wall! Fuck, why did I do that? <laughs> Anubis is kind of Oh good, stupid. there's a boat in my path, I'll end up hitting the boat, and then this person on the boat, he'll see like, oh, this is unusual, there's a sword sticking out of the boat, and then he'll pick me up, and then I'll be able to possess him. Oh no, now I'm stuck in a cow's ass! <laughs> yep, just stick... <laughs> there's a cow on the boat! Right in a cow. <laughs> oh no, this cow's freaking out. He's going to fall onto the river. <sighs> this is bad. This is all bad. I'll possess the cow, and then if I possess the cow, I'll be able to get back up, and then this guy will look at the sword, and he'll be like, oh, that's unusual. There's a sword in my cow's ass, and then I'll pick the sword up, and then I'll be able to get back to the mainland. Oh no, the cow's falling off the boat. Shit. And so, and there so he rests at the yeah, bottom so, of the Nile. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, the uh, sword falls out of the cow's butt. And it falls down to the bottom of the Nile. Yep. And he tries and to then, get uh, the fish to save him. Yeah. He's, and the crabs. There's a good bit where there's a crab. He's just like, hey, Mr. Crab, come here. Pick me up. I'll buy you some nice food to eat. Are you feeling it now, crab Mr. Just... Crabs? <laughs> crab keeps walking. He's just like, no, come back, Mr. Crab. Uh, and then we get uh, Divine Anubis retires. He's now out of the game. Presumably going to just die down there because he says he'll like rust within the matter of a week. Yeah. Why, uh, I love him just retiring. We never got a uh, Oingo and Boingo retire thing, did we? No. I kind of. Are Oingo Boingo going to come back at some point? Because it sort of seemed like they would maybe be a semi consistent foil. Don't think so. Like, I don't remember that anyone comes back except for Whole Horse that time. I think he might be gone for good too by now. But I okay. don't really remember. Uh, so everyone, uh, everyone is fine except for Anubis, who you know, bottom of the Nile. That's a problem. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a little preview of the next stand user, similar to how we got one of Oingo Boingo, and yeah, uh, it's a one. pretty lady. Yes. Uh, Maria stand is Bastet, which I think is there's a, cool a stand lot of too. There's a lot of people in the street just sort of going like hunga munga. Check out the legs on this lady. Check out the gams on this dame. Yeah, hoochie mama. And this this where you get this whole thing where it's like here are all the different people of Egypt. This uh, this is Nubian. <laughs> Here's a Bad- Badulian. This guy's an Indian. It, that doesn't matter. He doesn't have anything to do with Egypt. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just like race actually has nothing to do with this. I just wanted to bring that up. Yep. Anyway, here's this lady. Man, Rocky, <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. He's he read that in a book again, but he didn't like have a good way to work that into anything. So he's just like, I'm just going to talk about it in between these two beats. Yep. Manga anime differences. Everybody's favorite. Like the previous. It would episode. be really funny if one of these differences is that whole bit we just talked about is not in the manga. That was in the previous episode. Remember, it said they moved it from that episode to this one. Okay, right. Uh, like the previous episode, some scenes featuring Iggy were added. I love all this extra Iggy. I'm a fan. Yeah, me too. The fight between Jotaro and Anubis Polnareff is slightly expanded upon with scenes that include, but are not limited to, Star Platinum using Star Finger and Silver Chariot using its armor takeoff ability. The introduction of the Egyptian people was added to this episode when chronologically in the manga it should have been in the previous one. A scene featuring Mariah walking and commented by two Egyptian people was added. The thing is, even if you had that bit with talking about the different people of Egypt, any earlier, it it doesn't matter where you put it, that has zero relevance to anything. Yep. It even says... Like, but I don't know. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know why that is there other than, again, Rocky read a thing that he wanted to share and just could not figure out where to put it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's also kind of interesting watching this part now that I'm also playing Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, it's seeing, like, that version of Egypt compared to this one. I don't know. It's, mm. it's a... Nice contrast. Does Assassin's Creed have an Anubis, though, that, like, fist yes. pumps and goes, Yatta! Oh, no. But it does have Anubis. Oh. Uh, okay. Well, unless Anubis is doing that specifically, I don't care. Suda says, With Toshiyuki Kato at the storyboard and direction, I knew the episode was in good hands. The most important part of the episode is, of course, the fight between Jotaro and Polnareff, I was reminded how formidable the latter could be if he became an enemy. <laughs> Jotaro, though, not so much. Doesn't yeah. matter. Also, uh, by the way, I, I didn't bring this up when we were talking about it. The animation on that actual fight is incredibly good. Yeah. The animation in general recently has been a big step up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the duel scene, the climax is evidently Jotaro being stabbed in the gut by the blade, then breaking it bit by bit at high speed. It's an emblematic passage for me, and it looks rather nice on screen. Also, there's Anubis trying to call to the crabs and fish at the very end. Yasunari Matsumoto's frenzied performance is truly formidable. The end of the episode is similar to that of episode 26, as it also makes a transition with the next antagonist by presenting Maria this time. We've also put here the manga's explanation about the different ethnic groups in Egypt, in particular the Indian guy who had really nothing to do here. Ha 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 ha. Man. Man. I am sure no one in the audience had guessed we'd go for this kind of seemingly useless scene. (laughs) Yeah, kind of wish that they didn't. It would be forgetting that these details make JoJo's charm. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. I mean, yeah, but also, you really didn't need to do that. Oh. 
I'm glad uh, they did. Uh, I don't know. I'd fall on the fence. Um, so that's a... uh, I, I do. I do want to say that they what? they brought up the voice actor getting real into it again. The voice acting in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has been really, really good. Like yep. I, obviously, I do not speak Japanese. I cannot understand a word that they're saying natively, but the amount of energy that Joseph. they put in. Yeah, yeah. Joseph, yeah. like he speaks English a lot. You can understand. Oh him. well. Oh okay. Yeah, I think you might have cut out there and I missed something that you were saying. Oh. I just heard you say Joseph. I'm just <laughs> like, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, that you should have known what I was saying. So also would. Yeah the, the the amount of energy that they put into it is like still selling me on watching the uh, Japanese dub rather than the English one. Because I just can't imagine it being quite as good. Yeah. Like in Yaba and her weird laughing and slobbering is just so good and in the Boingo Japanese dub. With his Yeah, like I don't know how you could do that in English. Like, yeah, even when Joseph is speaking in English, it's way better than just when you have the English dub saying, yeah. oh my god, or oh no. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for this time next week hey look I'm what? I'm not a one of those prudes who is just like you need to only watch the Japanese dub of animes no. subtitles all the way like god no like there are plenty of English dubs I think are far superior to the Japanese versions in Jojo's Bizarre Adventures case specifically I think that the Japanese dub is absolutely the way to go like way too much is lost in the transition to English just yep. in terms of like names getting changed and uh you know losing stuff like muda 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 not being in it uh but also just the amount of like i said the energy that the actors have is totally different and i think it's way better than the japanese one well and i've said like for me a lot of the appeal of jojo is seeing other cultures uh, as seen through a japanese lens and in a dub yeah. you kind of lose a lot of the weird like contrast between the two yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, I would agree with that, too. So Yes, so... Yeah. Uh, this was a good three episodes. Yeah, it, it really was. And uh, I'm looking forward rate to getting ratings. this next... Ratings. Out oh, well, Oingo Poingo episode's a 10 out of 10. I mean... Yep. I, like, putting aside my affinity for Oingo Boingo, that was a very good episode. It was. It was it was consistently funny. It was very unique in the way that they handled the stand fight. Uh, the first episode of Anubis, I would say, like, I don't know, maybe a seven. Uh, it's more setting stuff up and sort of informing the audience how the stand works, and it doesn't really pop off until part two. Yeah, I mean, I would just rank both parts together. Like, I, I would give it a good eight. Yeah, I would say like an an eight or maybe a nine. Like there are some really high points in those two episodes, like the part where Anubis is flying towards the Nile. Yes, that just like had me rolling. Like I feel like it would be probably a seven normally, but then you get stuff like him yelling "yata" and the whole segment at the yeah. end that raises it up, yeah. give it a bump up to an eight. Yeah, Anubis is a really awesome stand. Like he's just such a dweeb. I love him. He's just a total wiener. Yep. Um, Weird dog man. Yeah, but they... 
they as a whole make for a very good singular episode, but I think kind of chunked up that first one is definitely weaker. And that's yeah. like sort of the thing that I'm noticing in these last few episodes that we've done of Stand and Deliver is that when we get into these two-parters, the first one, slow, not so great, mostly setting stuff up, and then the second half is where things start to get good. Like that was the case with High Priestess. Uh, that was sort of the case with Endual. Yeah, that's um why I specifically did not want to end any of these like yeah splitting them up because that's just going to be a bad time that definitely makes sense to me now that we've gotten through as much of these sort of uh, two-parters were a thing before but now we are absolutely getting into that phase part three uh where it's like here's your two-parter followed by another two-parter followed by another two-parter and maybe you will get a single episode break here and there but it's mostly going between two-part chunks so and speaking of that next week the two two two-part episodes 30 through 33 which are bestet's maria part one or mariah may i i guess it'd be mariah because it's probably mariah carey right yeah Yeah, it's gotta be through sets alessi part two that's it all righty Okay, well, uh, do we got anything that we need to go over? I th- nope. I think that was it. All right, well, uh, get lost. I'm going to go eat a McFlurry. Yeah. Because I hate myself. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Beat it. Pound sand. Get out of here. 23 skidoo. Hot-footed out of here.